0: Hi everyone! How are you all doing out there? Um, As you can see, I've completely given up on my hair and uh, next time I preach, this is probably what I'm going to be looking like. Uh, Actually, that's kind of accurate for my dad bod, but let's move on. Okay, well, we're continuing in the series on Heroes, Villains and Redemptions this week with everyone's favorite superhero, Spider-Man. And in case you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Dan Forrest, and I've been Jonathan's sidekick during this entire sermon series, and it's really been a pleasure being Robin to his Batman. Okay, so each week we've been looking at a different superhero or villain and asking the question, how can Jesus bring redemption to this character? And because this Sunday is Father's Day, I've decided to focus a bit on Spider-Man's relationship with the father figures in his life. Uh, When Spider-Man was introduced to the world all the way back in 1962, he was introduced as an orphan named Peter Parker. We don't know what happened to his father and mother, we just know that he was raised by his Uncle Ben and Aunt May. So, Uncle Ben is his main father figure, but in the recent Marvel movies, Tony Stark, or Iron Man, takes on this role of helping Peter out. And we're going to watch a clip now from Spider-Man Homecoming. This is Tony Stark dropping Peter off at home after the big battle in Captain America Civil War, and you can see a bit of the father-son dynamic forming between them.
1: I can keep the suit? Yeah,
0: that's what we were just talking about. Do me a favor
1: though, Happy's kind of your point guy on this, don't stress him out. Don't do anything stupid. I've seen his cardiogram. Alright? Yes. Don't do anything I would do, and definitely don't do anything I wouldn't do. There's a, there's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. What, does that mean that I'm an event? No. Is it? Seventh floor. I can take that up. You don't have to take it. You're going to take it? I, yeah, I can take that. Thank you. So when's wins her next step, when's our next step. retreat, you know? What, next mission? Yeah, yeah, the mission, the missions. We'll call you. Well, did you have my numbers? No, I mean, we'll call you. Like, someone will call you. Oh. All right. From your team. Okay. That's not a hug, I'm just grabbing the door for you. We're
0: not, we're not there yet. Bye. you are gonna call me. Oh, <laughs> I love how Peter thinks that Tony is going in for the hug there and just totally misreads the moment. Okay, so I love looking at the history of comic book characters and film. And here we have all the actors who have portrayed Spider-Man in the movies. Uh, the first spider-man there was played by nicholas hammond and fun fact he was in the movie sound of music and he was the eldest son uh, na- next up there was actually an asian spider-man there was a japanese sp- uh, series starring shinji toto and i love his bulky web slinger there uh, next we have toby Maguire, the first spider-man movie to achieve really great success in 2002 and then a couple sequels after that and then we have andrew garfield's portrayal which I'm not really a fan of, so I'm just going to skip those and not talk about them at all. And then there's Tom Holland, as we just saw in the recent Marvel movies, and I just love his take on the character. Brings a really fresh perspective. Okay, so we're going to look briefly at Spider-Man's origin story. You probably know it already, but for those of you who don't. Peter Parker is a high school kid who is really into science and he's a nerd. He's not popular, he's picked on by the cool kids, he's made fun of and rejected often. While at a science exhibit, Peter is accidentally bitten by a radioactive spider and right away he notices notices his body start to change. He begins testing out his new powers and he decides to enter a wrestling competition in disguise and he easily wins. He comes home and decides to make a better costume for himself and he names himself Spider-Man. Well, one of his unique features is his powerful and versatile web slingers. Peter is a really brilliant kid and he designed these himself. With his webs, he can swing through the city, tie people up, make nets, throw web balls at criminals, he can make shields, parachutes, they can pretty much do anything, they're incredible. Uh, Spider-Man has some really cool superpowers as well. He has the ability to walk up walls and stick to things. He also has his Spidey sense that tingles whenever there's danger or something's about to happen. And he also has incredible super strength. At one point, they say that the only Marvel superheroes stronger than him are Thor, the Hulk, and the Thing. So that's pretty amazing. Might not have known that. As I mentioned earlier, Peter's main father figure is his Uncle Ben, and shortly after he gets his powers, Peter becomes distant. He's getting into fights, and we're going to watch a clip now of Uncle Ben having a heart-to-heart with him.
1: What do we have to talk about, why now? Because we haven't talked at all for so long, your Aunt May and I don't even know who you are anymore. You shirk your chores, you you have all those weird experiments in your your room start fights at school we i don't didn't know. start that fight i told you that yeah, well you're sure as hell finished well, what was i supposed to do run away no no you're not supposed to run away but pete look you're changing i know i went through exactly the same thing at your age no not exactly peter these are the years when a man changes into the man he's going to become the rest of his life just be careful who you change into This guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened. But just because you can beat him up, doesn't give you the right to. Remember, with great power
0: comes great responsibility. So Peter is this high school kid trying to adjust to these new powers, and he's pretty arrogant about it. He goes on TV to show off his powers and as he's, as he's leaving the studio, he sees a cop chasing someone yelling, stop, thief, and Spider-Man just lets him go because he's not interested in helping anyone. He just cares about himself in that moment. Well a few days later, Peter comes home and he sees a cop car in the driveway and the officer informs him that his Uncle Ben has been murdered. Peter flips out, he puts on his spider suit and he goes hunting. When he finds the guy who did it, he's horrified to discover it's the same man that he let go earlier. The first issue of Spider-Man closes with Peter saying to himself, My fault, all my fault, if only I had stopped him when I could have. But I didn't, and now Uncle Ben is dead. It's in this moment that Peter truly realizes that with great power comes great responsibility. So already, this first issue sets up big themes for Spider-Man to wrestle with in the future. He wrestles with guilt, with what it means to be responsible, with making difficult moral choices. Another major theme is identity. Peter Parker is a teen figuring out who he is and who he's going to become. And Peter's wrestle with identity is rooted in growing up without a father, without biological parents. It has an effect on Peter and his sense of self. You know, Spider-Man is this unique superhero and that there are literally hundreds of variations of his character. Comic book writers have created all these parallel dimensions where Spider-Man exists in different forms. Check out some of these versions. Here we have uh, Spider-Monkey, uh, we've got Man-Spider, which is Spider-Man but with six arms. Uh, we have Zombie-Spider-Man, we have Future Spider-Man in 2211, and we have Cosmic uh, Spider-Man. These are just a few of the variations. Uh, Well, there's other different variations of Spider-Man that were explored in the animated film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is a movie I highly recommend. It is so good. In this version, the main character is Miles Morales, and that's the boy in the middle. He is also bitten by a radioactive spider and develops powers similar to Spider-Man's. And he ends up meeting other superheroes from different dimensions. We have Spider Ham, a.k.a. Peter Porker. Uh, There's also Spider Gwen, uh, Penny Parker, Spider-Man Noir on the edge there, and Peter B. Parker. He's an older, worn-down, divorced version of Spider-Man. And this movie does an incredible job of wrestling with Miles' sense of identity as he takes on this role that he feels unworthy and ill-equipped to handle. Throughout these films, we see Spider-Man trying to discover himself without a father to guide him. And he seeks guidance from fathers, from father figures in his life, from Uncle Ben, from Tony Stark. In the Spider-Verse movie, actually, uh, this isn't the case. Miles' dad is actually a cop who's really invested in his son's life, and it really makes, an, um, makes for an interesting perspective on the character. But also in that movie, we see Peter B. Parker take on a bit of a father figure role himself as Spider-Man mentors Miles into becoming a hero. Okay, so what, does, what redemption does Jesus offer for Spider-Man? How can Jesus save, heal, and restore Peter Parker? We're going to first tackle Peter's guilt. Peter is right to feel guilty here. While it's not directly his fault that his uncle was murdered, he did play an indirect role by not acting when he should have. Although Peter is really hard on himself, it's not all his fault, as he claims, but he does share some responsibility. Peter is a sinner, like all of us. He makes selfish decisions that hurt others. He can be arrogant and foolhardy. He needs to experience forgiveness, and of course, this is what Jesus is all about. In 1 John 1.9 we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus came down to earth to offer us complete forgiveness and free us from our guilt and shame. We don't deserve this forgiveness, but he offers it freely. He offers a clean slate. Whatever we've done in the past, he no longer holds against us, and he creates us anew. Well, it's easy to say Jesus forgives us, but it's another thing to experience his forgiveness. Jesus forgives Peter of his past. But Uncle Ben is still dead, and Peter still has to live with that. He has to see Aunt May every day and know he contributed to her husband's death. In order to be free of that guilt, Peter has to accept that he is forgiven, and he has to forgive himself. That is the real challenge. But thankfully, God empowers us with his spirit to embrace that forgiveness when we're finally willing to let go and allow him in. There are some levels of forgiveness that are easy for us to accept, but there are other levels that are very deep and totally entrenched. And in situations like these, it's going to require the help and support of our community, of other people. We need trusted friends, we need counselors, pastors, spouses, parents. We need our Christian brothers and sisters to help lead us into Christ's forgiveness sometimes. We need to work out our feelings of guilt with people willing to listen and willing to offer words of assurance, words of grace, and sometimes words of wisdom to help us move forward. You know, sometimes finding forgiveness will require us to apologize or make amends to the people that we've harmed. Thankfully, we have the body of Christ to support us and the spirit of Christ to be our strength. Well, the theme of guilt is really just one aspect of a greater theme, and that's identity. Peter is an awkward teenager who's trying to figure out who he is and how to live in this world. How he responds to his guilt and his emotions is all part of growing his identity and character. Shaping identity and character is what Jesus loves to do. This is part of Jesus' mission to mold us and shape, shape us to become more like him. And as we form our identity, we ask ourselves questions like this. What is important to me? Is it my achievements? Is that who I am? Is it my looks? Is it my personality type? Is it my dreams and my aspirations? Well, theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer had this to say about this topic. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Or another way to say that is, The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. According to Tozer, our vision of God, our understanding of Him, shapes everything about us. And it's the foundation for our lives. You know, if you view God as distant and uncaring, that's going to shape you one way. If you view God as judgmental and overly critical, that's going to shape you another way. How we think about God affects who we are. Well, writer Scott Savage flips this quote a bit, and he looks at identity from another perspective. He writes, The second second most important thing about you, in my opinion, is what God thinks about when God thinks about you. What does God think about you? How you answer that question will determine how you see yourself. The way God thinks about you, the way God acts towards you, has a significant impact on your identity and on your character. Our identity is largely shaped by our parents, who they are, and how they raise us. Consider your own parents for a moment and the effect that they've had on who you are. Consciously and subconsciously, they have been a major shaper of who you are today. Some of you maybe are like Peter Parker and you didn't have any biological parents in your life. And other people filled those roles for good or for bad. My dad was around until I was about 12. And after that, I needed other men to fill that role. My youth pastors, my uncles, my brother, they ended up fulfilling these roles for me. But like Tony Stark and like Uncle Ben, they're just not complete. None of these men, not even my own father, satisfied the longing in my heart for a true father. But as a teenager, I discovered God to be my perfect heavenly father. I wholeheartedly embraced scriptures like Psalm 2710. Even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Our parents aren't perfect. Some try their best, but they're messed up and they pass that on to us. This understanding of God as a good and loving parent, who has our best interests in mind and does everything in his power to support us, is so important to our identity and worth. To understand how he truly feels about us and thinks about us is massively significant to how we think about ourselves and how we go on to treat others. Well, listen to this passage from 1 John 3, 1-3 and just soak it in. This is who God is, and this is what He thinks of you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is all who have this hope in him all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure the bible is full of images of god and images that god has for us and people online have done the work of compiling these images together into lists and i encourage you to go searching for them online to discover who god is and what god thinks of you this is one list that was compiled by Ben Malcolmson. It's pretty small font there. Hopefully you can find it online somewhere. Listen to some of the things that uh, that Ben pulled out of Scripture. Listen to God's understanding of you. You are beloved. You are a child of God. You are delighted in. You are forgiven. You are free. You are a saint. You are never alone. You are wonderfully made. You are whole in Christ. The list goes on and on. This is just one list and it's not even complete. Don't base your identity on what you think about when you think about you, base it on what your good heavenly Father thinks about when he thinks about you. Well now finally, what does Jesus have to say to Peter Parker about responsibility? With great power comes great responsibility. As children of God, we have tremendous power. Power to change individuals lives and power to change the world. And like Spider-Man, that power requires us to be responsible with it. Spider-Man had to figure out how to use powers for others rather than for himself. Miles Morales had to take a leap of faith and embrace the Spider-Man identity, even though he didn't feel worthy or adequate. We're going to look at the verse that I read earlier from 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to include the following verses as well. Yes, the old is gone and the new is here, but that doesn't mean we get to sit back and do nothing. Let's read what Paul writes to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. God forgave us so that we would go out and forgive others and invite others to experience the forgiveness of God as well. It's as if every time Spider-Man saved someone, he gave them their own Spider-Man suit and said, Now you go and help save others with me. We are Christ's ambassadors on earth. God is saving and forgiving people through our lives and through our ministry. And with great power comes Great responsibility. Let's take a look at this passage from Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. Paul urges us here to put on Jesus' Spider-Man suit. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, uh, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity you know as you read this as i talk about this this might make you anxious it might overwhelm you it's it's a lot of responsibility to be like jesus but remember you're not jesus and jesus isn't expecting you to be jesus he knows that you're not perfect he knows you're fragile you're timid What Jesus is calling us to do is to just step out in faith. And Jesus will be Jesus through you. He'll use your small acts of kindness to heal people. He'll use your listening ear and quality time to draw people closer to himself. Jesus has given us his spirit of power, not timidity, as we step out in faith. As we step out in faith, the power of Christ grows stronger and takes over our fears. Well, God made us in his image, and that means we have a longing to love and a longing to be loved. This is captured well in Peter's relationship with Tony Stark throughout the Marvel movies, beginning with an awkward attempt at the beginning, receiving a hug, and finally receiving one in the end. Peter longs to be loved, Tony longs to love, but it's difficult for them and it's difficult for us, especially when we've had broken relationships with our parents, especially when we've been hurt by older people that we trusted. Isn't it amazing that we have a father, a heavenly father, who showers us with true love and teaches us how to love others and love ourselves for that matter? And I think this message is really hard for us to completely soak into our soul. So I, I just want to play a clip for you from Graham Cook as he speaks these powerful words over his congregation. Just take a moment to breathe and listen to what Graham Cook is speaking through the spirit to uh, the people who are listening.
1: The Lord says that there is nothing that you can do. There's also nothing you can do that would make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you, 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 because that is what he is like. It is his nature to love. And you will always be the Beloved.
0: Well, as we go from here, may these words from Ephesians 5 be a blessing for you. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. He was a sacrificial offering that smelled sweet to God. May you likewise sacrifice yourself for others and for God, as he leads you and empowers you by his spirit. Amen. Well, if you'll be participating with us during the Zoom meeting this Sunday, I encourage you to consider these three questions and try to have some answers prepared for sharing. I'd really love to hear your responses. So the three questions are, what did you struggle with most in your teenage years? I'm sure we all have kind of cringeworthy moments or, or different things we struggled through adolescence. I wanna hear what, uh, what was unique for you as you struggled. Um, also, who were important mentors, role models, and identity shapers in your life? How did they uh, show you love and care and um, offer you hope for the future? And thirdly, third question, what was a defining moment that shaped your identity as you stepped up and faced a challenge or when you went out of your way to help or support someone. So take some time to answer these questions and I look forward to uh, discussing them with you on Sunday. So bye for now.